It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, Episode 74. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. I'm Keeper John, and in this episode, we open the book to a certain Hyperborean sorcerer. And I'm Keeper Chad, and we'll peek into a dark well of ideas that is far from commonplace. And I'm Keeper Murph, with nothing more to say. <laughs> First, we're going to start things off in the campus crier. Miskatonic University campus crier. Campus crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's we're going to go through feedback for the podcast and news we need to share. And this episode's recorded on March 8th, 2015, one week after our last episode. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> I apologize for my messed up schedules. It's a manhouse! A manhouse! <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> that was Charlton Heston. <laughs> Saying it's a madhouse from Planet of the Apes. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, first in the news, we have uh, the new solo PDF uh, in 7th edition tutorial that came out from Chaosium this last week uh, called Alone Against the Flames. And we have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, have any of you guys actually taken a chance to look at it yet? Yep. I have. Has anybody played it? I have no. not. I, I had to run it a game yesterday, so I haven't done it yet. Awesome. You oh, played it? Really? Cool. Yes. I played it yesterday to be prepared for today. It was amazing. Cool. Yeah, I I was I was really blown away. Gavin Inglis is the uh, author for it and oh my god, it is so good. Uh, at first I was I was a little confused as far as what it you're reading the the preface and it says have this have the quick start rules cuz this was designed for the the free quick start rules and and uh, and this really is a tutorial for 7e, but it is so well written and so engaging. You don't even think of it as a tutorial. In fact, this doesn't have to be a tutorial. You could just take a character uh, and and in some of the tutorial areas uh, at the very beginning, you know, you just read past that. But you know, it says take the uh, this game uh, the 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 quickstar rules in a blank character sheet. I was like, uh, okay. And I did exactly, I wanted to play it exactly as it was written. So I had a blank character sheet 
And as you're going through, you know, it's one of these choose your own adventure things. So, you know, you read this, you go to that page or go to that numbered thing, right? As you're going through in the very beginning, it's telling you about at the top of your character sheet, you have eight character stats. Go ahead and put these numbers in, in any order that you want. And say, oh, I'm filling out the character sheet as I play. And, you know, you read that paragraph. You go a couple more paragraphs, you know, as it's telling you go here and here and here. And now it says, you know, here's how you calculate your hit points, sanity, luck. I mean, the whole thing. And then, you know, uh, uh, it says, choose which of these occupations. And if you choose this, go to this page. And you go to that page and it says, all right, you have these starting uh, skills. Put these numbers in it. Ignore whatever the uh, the base is in those and just put these numbers. And, you know, and eventually you get some, uh, some uh, personal interest skills. But once you get past all that, you know, stuff, which they made, I mean, that the author made very engaging, very interesting. It wasn't dry at all. It's all part of like this, you know, the beginning of the adventure as your character's going on the, the beginning of this little story. I want to be, I want to be vague because it was so, yeah, so engaging. I want people to play this. I'm going to play it again. Uh, but after I got past that initial stuff, I, I absolutely had a, a, a fully realized character. Then suddenly you're in this adventure. And and there were parts of it where I'm like, I really want to get my character out of here. This is not a situation I want to be in. And I tried. I tried doing certain things. You know, every time you try and get out, they pull you back in. You know, and I, it's just it was so engaging. And um uh, and I kept, you know, I was actually using dice and throwing, you know, dice for my skills. And, you know, if you were successful with this, you go here. If you fail, go here. I had an inordinate number of failed rolls. I was every time I was going, oh, if you <laughs> fail, go to this option. Eh, all right, I'm going to the failed option. <laughs> but it was so, so engaging and such a good story. I was just, I was just absolutely blown away. And, and sometimes it would be interesting. You go to this um, to one of the little numbers and you're reading it and it says it might say if you were in a fight earlier I'm like I wasn't in a fight what options would I have had to make to be in a fight before I got into this you know and <laughs> so there was just there were so many different things in there I'm just like this one's just freaking awesome it's I I, I can't say enough good stuff about it alone against the flames everybody needs to get this everybody needs to play this very yeah. cool Right. Yeah, I love that. A companion solo scenario that helps you create a character to go with the quick start rules. That is so neat. And it's not like it's explaining every rule. I mean, it just says, here's a batch of numbers, distribute them how you want. You know, and it does the same thing with the skill. So it's, it's not really teaching. It just it helps you build a quick and dirty character. And then you're playing. I mean, you're just in it and you're playing, and it's great. It's a clever idea. Really, very well done. Yeah, and it's free. Yeah, free game with the the, the free rules. Yeah, just it's all free. Go go play this. It's awesome. Oh, that is just cool. Thank you, Chaosium. Yeah, and yeah, I know really cool. when they first put the uh, PDF out, there was a there was a problem with the. Uh, formatting in the pdf but that has been corrected so if you did download this the first time and if you're looking in pdf view and it looks like there's double pages just re-download it uh, mike mason has already put out a uh, uh, an update 
And if you just go re re-download the file, you'll get a straight uh, page per page PDF. And then I took that and I was able to to convert it into a booklet format. I've already printed it off, so I've got a it's a, it's in digest size. I've got a little digest copy of this, mm-hmm. uh, so I was able to flip through it by hand instead of trying to scroll through a PDF. But yeah, it's great. Definitely pick this up. Cool. Then next up, we've got a new card game called Wake Up Cthulhu. <laughs> this looks really cool. It reminds me a lot of actually um, Feed the Shoggoth in its in the game style, at least where you're okay. cult, you play cultists trying to, uh, if not awaken Cthulhu, it was it, instead of not being eaten by a Shoggoth, you're trying to make sure that everyone else is eaten by Cthulhu. Yeah. Which I thought was a pretty neat yeah. idea. Yeah, kind of a stick it to your neighbor's <clears throat> style. Game. Yeah, exactly. Which, as we know, Chad, I'm very good at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is on Verkami, which is a, um, I'm not sure what this is. I think it's like a uh, Spanish kind of Kickstarter thing. Yeah, um, right. It's a, a so, new crowdfund. Yeah, uh, different kind of new to us, at least. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not entirely. Uh, oh yeah, they have funded. Okay, that is the thing I was trying to figure out. So they've got eighty five hundred pounds out of a four thousand pound goal, or sorry, euros eighty five hundred euros out of their four thousand euro goal. So it's it is funded. So if you do back it at this point, you're going to get something. Hopefully, um, it looks really neat. the uh, The artwork is really cool. I like the artwork a lot. Yeah, um, me too. It's a fantastic it, art style. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of like uh, the Penny Arcade style artwork. You know where you mm-hmm. have the <clears throat> the the overly comic looking characters at mm-hmm. times, yeah. And then essentially, what you're getting is a, a deck of a hundred cards, uh, and then a set of uh, I think a a board game, uh, a board, an actual playing yeah. board, and then sixty one pieces of little markers counters. and whatnot mm-hmm. counters uh, that you use to progress through the game. Um, it looks really neat and to get in on it at this point, I believe you, it's at least, uh, 25 euros. will give you a, f- a physical copy of the game, which isn't too terribly bad actually for a, a board slash card game with, with actual physical little counter pieces, things. Yeah. I, wonder yeah. if, <clears throat> I wonder if that includes shipping. Exactly. I was just looking at, I, uh, I bet it doesn't. Yeah, that includes shipping to Spain and the Balearic islands. Yeah. So, so there would be additional on top of that to ship to uh, North America. And it looks yeah. like five of the uh, uh, stretch goals, uh, you can have your face commissioned uh, and put on uh, one of up to five cards. So those are probably like, you know, one shot uh, pledge levels. So they've, yeah. got, they've got three that I think are 100 euros. So the first three for that will get... Uh, their faces on those cards, and then they have two at 250 euros uh, where people would get their faces on that card. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's very cool. It's a, it's a neat little game. Hopefully they were able to get it out because it looks really cool. I'd be interested to play this at a con or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that artwork is just very striking. I enjoy that a lot. That's great. Yeah, same here. Uh, next up, also, we have the Journal of Lovecraftian Science Volume 1. Um, we've mentioned this website, the Lovecraftian Science website, before on the show. Uh, and this is a Kickstarter done by the same guy, uh, Fred Lubnow, 
And it is uh, a whole lot of awesome is what it looks like. Um, he was asking for 2500 bucks. He's got 3400 with 21 days left. Um, basically, it's a compilation edition of some of his better articles plus a uh, series of chapbooks that will go with it. In, in this case, the biology of the elder things and Chagas now is what the chapbook is. A 20-page chapbook on that, which is really yeah. cool. Um, and I'm, I've backed this uh, and I'm really, really excited to get it in. Um, so I can't, I can't wait to actually get this come to come through. Yeah. I jumped in on it too. I couldn't resist. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Yeah. This is very, very neat. So, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm backed at the PDF level. So I, I, this is where my, uh, my $30 went. So I, I backed it at the $29 level, which I think gives me a physical chat book. Plus okay. the yeah, yeah twenty five, both of them in hard copy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that was the updated bit from last week's mention of the campaign was that the chat book has been expanded and doubled in size. So there's half of it is going to be about the elder things, and the other half will now be about the biology of Shoggoths. And awesome. I am fascinated and intrigued with exactly how he's possibly going to explain the biology of something that is so shapeshiftery. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. That's, I, I yeah. really enjoy this guy's uh, website, so I, I can't imagine that this would be any less impressive. Yeah. So, yeah, it just, yeah, congratulations, Fred Lubnow. And up next, we have another Kickstarter. This is a, it's called PAX. It is a game in which you play rats of various shapes and sizes. They bill it as a, the, a fluffy horror RPG game for Savage Worlds. They are Kickstartering it uh, in order to translate it to Savage Worlds. It already has rules. And I am a backer of this thing because I thought it just looked so awesome it's sort of uh somebody uh just described it as the hor horror answer to the um the uh what is it called mouse guard, mouse guard. um <laughs> it's awesome uh if you check on check on the page the thing that drew me in is the character types and they have these different rats also yeah, the artwork are, really the artwork, artwork is really good <sighs> it's just so good so you can play different styles of rats uh, character classes. One is called a sharp teeth. That's your basic meat shield. Uh, divers who explore. Collectors who do whatever you need for a little favor, it says. Um, lab rats. It's got one depicted here with an ear attached to its back. Um, <laughs> That's great. I love that one. They're all pretty. It's pretty dark vision. And uh, yeah, man, I think it would be pretty fun to play. It looks really, really, really cool. I, yeah, it looks really awesome. I'd be interested to see the original version of this, um, not the Savage World one, just because I don't play much Savage Worlds, but uh, it yeah. looks really, really, really awesome. The, the original rules I sort of like, and I think I probably would run it with that first, just since it's you know unique and interesting to explore something different. You have two, you have traits, a bunch of different sort of generic traits, and each time you roll something, you know, do try to perform a task, you combine two traits or you pick two traits and you're rolling two dice. Uh, well, no, more than two dice. It's like a pool of dice based on what that stat is. So it's a dice pool thing. But the, it's interesting to me that, you know, like if, if you are trying to sneak somewhere, you would pick two traits, not one. Um, so it's a way to not have a skill catalog. It's just, you know, pretty lean. 
So I think it'll right. I think it'll play quickly. I also like the way that they set up their uh, their backer levels. So like at ten dollars, you get the um, uh, the core book that they're doing. You know the the main book here. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't get any stretch goals. You just get a, a work in progress of, of the book and the final digital copy of the book. And, th- and that's it. And then for 20 bucks, you get that and the stretch goals, the adventures, you know, the extras that they add in. I think that's kind of neat to worry if you if you don't want to spend too much money, you can still their bottom level is getting the book. Yeah. And the basic it. game. Yeah, the basic yeah, game. Yeah, all so, digital. That's pretty right. smart. That's really and at ten dollars, that's a that's a really easy entry point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very neat. It's kinda like uh, uh Lord of the Flies meets Secret of Nim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looks really awesome. But it's only got three days left on it, so jump over there if it sounds interesting. Yeah, and they are fully funded, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's looks like definitely well funded here's something that i somebody sent me on facebook knowing that i'm interested in lovecraft there's a, a board game called cave evil that is described as imagine a game where Guy, gary gygax has been possessed by abdul alhazred uh it's actually on boing boing i hadn't seen it before and i don't know how long it's been out but it's a pretty amazing article on boing boing about this and pretty dark looking pieces yeah. and play it's definitely if you <laughs> uh yeah uh lots yeah, of demonic gone. demonic uh stuff it does it's got you know your classic like heavy metal skulls and stuff yeah. you know what I mean? it's, it, it looks exactly. quite dark yeah and then i guess it really is all in black and white is that is that the mm-hmm. deal yeah, yeah um, i believe it is yeah yeah okay so it's it's black and white cards and board and markers and holders and stuff like that so everything's you know following that theme it it looks really striking though yeah i I had never seen it before and i have no idea how long it's been out uh actually well the article was published you know a couple of days ago but it's 90 bucks so yeah it's it's a little it's a little pricey but yeah uh, and then the the evidently it was I don't know how long ago, but there's a 2013 reprint, and that's what you're getting for for ninety dollars. Mm, okay. So, some point prior to 2013, it originally came out. Gotcha. It's certainly a striking art style yeah, they it, have on this. That's, yeah. Um, put wow. in the I'll put in the link to their actual website here as well Great. on the show notes, Great. and they have some um, better pictures of the actual game pieces themselves, and it it's very striking in the. Uh, how how they look it's it's quite awesome because it's all black and white like we mentioned but the little chits and the little map pieces because it does come with like hexagonal map pieces as well that you lay out as you play and it, it oh looks, okay it looks really really cool huh. oh yeah and then next up we've got the last few days left for the masks of nyarlathotep companion we're at as we record, 54 hours to go, and uh, we're moving along nicely. We're at uh, over 29,000 pounds. Let's see, where are we at for our stretch goals here? We... Okay, the next stretch goal to unlock at 30,000 is The Law in Black and White. Racial violence, crime, firearms law, and law enforcement in Australia. Cool. This has all sorts of really cool extra things that have been put in through stretch goals by a number of contributors. Very cool. I'm, I'm really happy to see this going so well for them as well. 
Yeah, that is awesome. That's very good. Yeah. Do we do we think this will eventually be in stores, uh, an actual book on the shelf in stores? Okay. Um, it is. It, it will have a print edition. So the way it works is the Sandbat edition of the Companion um, is the Sixty Stones uh, license obligations to Chaosium. So if Y numbers of backers back the Kickstarter, then he owes Chaosium X number of copies. That's the way it works. I just found that line too. Yeah. Yeah, so you can go to Cassium.com, and it's a limited edition, finite numbers, and will not be numbered or signed. Right. Whereas the others will be uh, numbers and signed, depending on which version you've purchased. Yeah, the Bloody Tongue version will right. be. Okay. The Black Pharaoh edition won't be. Right. All right. That's cool. Jump in on that. It's a magnificent resource for the for you know an enduring campaign. Well, and then just a, a magnificent resource in general for any of those locations you might be running yeah. any game because it's exactly. chock, chock full of so much info that, I mean, you just can't get away from it. Yeah, it's really well researched. Uh, very, very, to, to, to nauseating levels of minutia. <laughs> that's, that's nice. <laughs> it, well, I mean, yeah. Reviews by Murph. <laughs> it's still awesome. I'm not saying it's bad. Just nauseating. Uh, so, just nauseating. Uh, <laughs> shut up. So first there was Lovecraft beer. And now there's Lovecraft wine, evidently. For the finer palate. For the finer palate. Uh, <laughs> this is an Indiegogo for Lovecraft wines. Um, and they have successfully funded. And their label is freaking awesome, might I add. I, would, I don't drink wine. I would buy a bottle of this wine just so I could have the bottle laying around. Yeah, uh, it was pretty decadent. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very cool. I don't know how well it's going to taste, but who cares? <laughs> you can, I believe, there's still some early birds left. So you can get like an early bird voucher for um, uh, like $15. And that'll give you a, uh, a, a Founders Edition Lovecraft wine from their online store, which is really, really cool. I mean, it, it looks neat. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of tempting my wife drinks wine so i'm like oh, yeah. and you'd have the bottle after you'd always have the bottle <laughs> exactly have we, the bottle. yeah then we clean out the bottle and just have it up and just put it in my workroom and it's decoration yeah it's this is just a, a very interesting thing here the artwork on all of this is fantastic it really is i'm really impressed by the level of quality on their uh their artwork and their their uh the different types of wine that they're offering <laughs> it's just so nuts i really like the king and yellow pinot noir that they mm-hmm. have <laughs> it's just or yes. the chardonnay sorry the, the king and yellow haster chardonnay it's just yeah. a fantastic image Ooh, at the uh, yeah. 12 dollar perk you can get cthulhu pickles mm-hmm. right. <laughs> which has me kind of like what yeah <laughs> It's just so wrong. But pickled right. tentacles or something. Yeah, it was. It's pickles with like peppers and stuff in there. It's I guess by a different company that does just weird pickle flavors called Wicked Pickles. So they're doing a special Cthulhu variant. I kind of like these uh, keys that they have here. Mm, yeah, it's sort of an odd option to put onto a wine Kickstarter, mm-hmm. but it's just an unusual shaped pair of keys one large one small and they're just kind of cool they kind of nest together almost it looks like yeah, it kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, lock and key lock and key yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and just so you know, the art is legit. I mean, this has got uh, Abigail Larson on the uh, on here, who's doing a lot of the art. Uh, if you're not familiar with her, you need to really need to go check her out. And um, she's a Hugo nominated uh, illustrator with just a fantastically awesome style. Yeah, these are beautiful. I guess since I mentioned her name, I have to mention the rest of the people on there. Uh, Matthew John Soff is another artist. Tom Jenkins, uh, Xavier Guerrero, Evelyn Criedy. Uh, Jean Philippe, uh, oh, sorry, excuse me, not Jean, Jean-Philippe Chambert, uh, James C. Graham, uh, and then a whole lot of others. I mean, it's it looks really, really cool. And they've got some very cool creative stuff to pick up as add-ons and whatnot. Their t-shirt is very cool. Yep. Miskatonic University School of Enology, which I'm assuming is winemaking. That is really yeah, cool. That's, yeah, that's super Yeah. Uh, so if you're a wine drinker, go over, take a look. The campaign currently has 11 days left on it. Very awesome. Well, CthulhuCon is coming up in April in Portland. This is an offshoot of the film festival, April 25th through 26th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, they have a really good lineup. They've got St. Joshi, who is uh, and and uh, Willem Pugmire, both who are local. They've got. Ken Height will be there. Adam Scott Glancy will be there. Uh, Keith Baker from the uh, Doom that came to Atlantic City and Cthulhu Gloom fame. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith historian William uh, William Farmer. uh, Artists and and more. Uh, Authors. Pretty cool lineup. I really wish I could be there personally. Yeah, that seems like it would be a very cool con. Yeah, Lehman Kessler's going to be there again. You remember him from Necronomicon? He was the uh, the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft impersonator. Oh yeah, yeah. That guy was great. Did you uh, go to his um, his session last time? I don't remember. I yeah, think so I he had a session where he did a Q and A in character. Yeah, he's, yeah, we he's were online. We I said next to you. Um, uh, <laughs> during what? that, I said next to you during that, but go ahead. No, I, I wasn't, I didn't go to the Q and A. Oh, you didn't? No. I said so, next to someone else during that. Who's a fool now? Someone who looked like me, someone who's close enough. It's probably another woman. I don't know. <sighs> well done. <laughs> did you say when this uh, con is? I did. did. That is April, April 25th through the 26th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Portland, Oregon. Very cool. Yeah, so the end of next month, so if this is something you're interested in, go and take a look and get arrangements made. Then, uh, John and I received a couple of unusual postcards from Scotland, <laughs> and so I we scanned ours, and these are just sort of out of the blue with no return address or name, and they're, they're intriguing and, and kind of awesome. Yeah, it's a signed yours G, uh, and I don't I don't know if that's a stylized underline on the G or if it's G Z, but um, for initials. But yeah, I, I got this out of uh, when I got this in the mail. I'm like, I, I don't even know what this is, but it is really really cool looking. Yeah, so I I read these that you got. I'm really jealous. I didn't get one by the way. So G Z or G, whoever you are. I'll send you an email. Or an I'm address. guessing <laughs> that uh, the addresses for uh, yeah, you you two weren't uh, known to whoever sending these. I'm just saying, yeah, that deepens uh, the mystery, right? Who deepens the mystery? Who has yeah, just yours who knows and your not addresses, mine? but not ours? Interesting. Yeah, um, but I think what's happened here is someone has involved you in a deep profundus game. 
much to my chagrin and your uh, your unknowing, unwitting participation of such game. <laughs> so, if you what? don't know what De Profundis is, <laughs> uh, De Profundis is the uh, the letter based. Yeah, I, um, I know. Yeah, shut up. Uh, the letter based mythos game where everything's done via letter, uh, where you write in character and mail letters back and forth in the fashion of the majority of uh, Lovecraftian heroes. But if this is a deep profundus game, I am all in because this was cool as hell. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. I have to admit. Some to truly... be able to play, you'd have you'd need a return address. I mean, yeah. for you guys. Uh, yeah, to... I know. Yeah, and, and there's not one, <laughs> but still, it just makes it more awesome. <laughs> you know, they're beautiful postcards. Yeah, they really are. And they were sent from Edinburgh. That's just fantastic. Very odd and and awesome. Both of them mentioned going to Italy next, and so I suspect that John and I will receive another pair of cards from Italy with the other half of the symbol. Yeah. So I I don't know if we mentioned this. Each of the uh, postcards in the uh, lower left hand corner has one quarter of the yellow sign. Uh, drawn and very intricately uh, drawn. It's it's mentioned that it's a, a rubbing actually on the uh, uh, postcard, but uh, yeah. it's just so cool uh, that you know we potentially will be able to get four postcards that we can uh, align together and 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 have a fully realized yellow sign available. So yeah, a yellow sign that's been inverted horizontally. So it's like this is an image of the back of something with the sign mm. it's and I, it's I don't odd. Know if there's a wrong way to do the yellow sign but this will be i don't know i always like the upside down mind. yellow sign to be honest seemed more proper but i've never seen anybody do it upside down so. i used to always do it upside down just because in my brain that's the way it should be i don't know why but yeah anyway but whoever's sending this uh thank you oh absolutely and yeah. I really hope to find out at some point who it is. And if anyone knows who it is, be uh, sure and give them my address. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if we, if yeah. we get a resolution to this, we find out who it is. We got to get them on the show. If they're if they're yeah. willing to come out of the out of the shadows. <laughs> I don't know. They'd have to break character. Then that wouldn't be as fun. I think it's I think it's cool just like it is. You don't know who it is. It's kind of it's kind of awesome. For our Cryptocurium Spotlight, I decided to go ahead and pick out a couple of items that were spe mm -hmm. specifically well-suited to working in conjunction with the Mascus Masks of Nyarlathotep campaign and the, you know, the companion that's almost done with its uh, Kickstarter. Oh. That Yeah, there's an amulet for the Crawling Chaos. Basically, these are both Dark Pharaoh items. I actually own. There's a crawling both of these chaos items. amulet. Oh, okay. I have the idol. Right. The yeah, and then I have I have the idol and the uh, the amulet, which even though it says it's an amulet, is bloody big. It's it's almost five inches long. Yeah. It's awesome. So it's like a big medallion sort of thing. I guess you could call it that. It's it, it no wear that with like your shirt you, open. You couldn't actually and wear it. Have this thing nestled into the chest. I don't hair think it's an amulet in the sense that it's on a string. I think it's an amulet in the old Egyptian sense that it's a, a magical piece of something that you would carry around with you in some form or fashion or be wrapped in a mummy's wrappings or something. But it's uh, could use it it's as large. a belt buckle. You could use it as a belt buckle, especially here in Texas. 
Um, <laughs> have it, have it inlaid into That'd your be pretty awesome. lid. That would be awesome. For example, yeah, random. That would be awesome, actually. That's, <laughs> As you do. It's random, but I like it. <laughs> I think it's probably bring it closer to its actual purpose, you know. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, I own both I, of these. They're, they're I fantastic. Love the amulet. Oh my God, this thing looks wicked. I just, yeah, it's I love really, the, really cool. The dark yep. tentacles coming out of the face and everything. It's awesome. Yeah, and that's the same basic image that's in the idol as well, as you have an sure. upright version of that with the, uh, the the no face gnarless tub. It's just a bunch of black tentacly tendrils coming out of his, where his face should be. And I was thinking either of these would be very cool little items for uh, investigators to find while in the Egyptian chapter. Yeah, I agree. They're they're both very striking, very awesome. Mm-hmm. So I just thought I'd point out something cool that would work in conjunction with the, the masks campaign going. Yeah, those are great. I, I, I love the artistry of not putting a face, just putting the tentacles. But, but, Professor, I've been practicing. Put the chum down, Jimmy. Fishy fish, fishy fish, yeah, yeah. No, Jimmy, we don't need any more fish. With all due respect, there are consequences. Switch and iodine, omega 3, fatty oh, acids. Dear. Golly, see? Harmless. Chowder tonight. <laughs> it's not the little ones I'm worried about, Jimmy. First appearance of uh, Jimmy and the professor in, I don't know, a year or so. Yeah, it's got to be a at least something like that. So new listeners are probably going, what was <laughs> that? But uh, <laughs> yeah, go go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes. Jimmy and the professor, they, they're a, a weird little recurring thing. <laughs> but that's the bumper for a new uh side segment that we're going to be doing where we're going to be covering some various characters that have the singular unusual and difficult to file your taxes on occupation of wizards wizards hence the call fish <laughs> call fish gone wrong have you guys little yeah. little sidebar if you're not if on uh, Google Plus, you should get on Google Plus just for tracking down Scott Dorward and looking at his hashtag uh, attract when a when attract fish goes wrong. Oh. It's quite. <laughs> it, is awesome. it is quite fantastically awesome. Yeah, just uh, he spends he's, an inordinate amount of time doing that. By the way, might I add? Yeah. <laughs> it's really great when you just are reminded that megalodons are fish <laughs> yeah, it's he's great. Got lots and lots of images of, of exactly that track fish gone wrong it's awesome <laughs> oh that's great we have to uh, find that I haven't seen oh, any yeah. of that oh Check yeah it out. It's, it's really good we decided to start off our uh, wizard's side with the one of the more famous names in 
the Cthulhu mythos lore who has who, who has been name-checked in probably a couple of dozen different stories, as well as a whole mess of uh, published scenarios. Ebon. He has got a... I, I think the reason why he gets name-checked is he's got a really cool name. Because I read hmm. The Door to Saturn last night, and he wasn't that impressive. <laughs> well, I'm it's... Like, yeah, it's a really weird story. <laughs> it's, it's a really weird story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he worships... Uh, Sathagwa, uh, and apparently has, uh, and, and he also dates back to the uh, uh, Hyperborean age. So he's he wasn't a uh, mm-hmm. a modern uh, wizard of any sort, or even you know of of this uh, continent, you know. And yeah, he was like uh, in, in Door to Saturn, he was he was you know going to be lynched by a mob, and he escaped through this uh, through this magic doorway to uh, to the planet Saturn. And uh, and he's hanging out there now. He's he's you know being pursued by his uh, uh, inquisitor, and then they have to have a buddy cop team up in order to uh, survive the uh, uh, the trials and tribulations of Saturn. And and you know he makes mistakes. He's like, I don't think I should have brought this message to these people. And then later he figures out the message is basically go away. You know, and <laughs> yeah. He's he's just he's just you know. Mm-hmm. parroting uh, messages that are given to him. And I'm like, this doesn't really seem like the, uh, the actions of a, of an uber powerful, all knowing uh, wizard, <laughs> more like an opportunist, you know? Yeah. He's a con man and a manipulator and he's full of himself. Yeah. Got a big ego. And he, yeah, he totally drinks his own Kool-Aid. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he convinces himself, cons himself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's my take on it, is that he's fairly sure that he's actually right about a lot of these things. And then later on, he's like, nope, I think the god was mistaken to send me to give the message to these people. Well, when it's convenient. <laughs> when it's conv- when he has yeah. to meet with a an alien brood queen, he's like, I no, I think... Let me, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting, a, I'm getting an insight. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Iban didn't exactly end up being the the uh mighty, you know, smiting powerful spell chucker that you might hope for. He's more of just sort of a guy who is bros with so- uh Agua and his wizard's tower had like boats up posters and pictures of Sathagua all over the well, place. A five-sided, five-story tower made of nice or nice or how nice. Is, how, That's nice. nice. Is it nice? Yeah. There's yeah, an awesome nice. saying uh, in New York that the Bronx is nice. The, <laughs> the people of Inwood have all their marbles and Manhattan is full of schist. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens to be true. That's great. Uh, uh, but I think more importantly for Ivan, or I've always said, I've that. always said Ivan too. I wasn't yeah, going to correct because, like, whatever. But you yeah, know. okay. Well, I'm glad we're saying Ivan now because it makes me feel normal. Um, <laughs> We'd the, say both. We probably had the same discussion whenever we actually covered the the book right. of Ivan. I mean, that's his big thing. Is he wrote the you book of Ivan? Just said Ivan. <laughs> Shush. I I've gone back and forth for years on that. It's just. 
whatever happens to come out at the time. Ebon, Ibon, doesn't matter. Ebon. Ebon. But this character is last seen in any stories as an actual active participant in the story in Door to Saturn, as far as I'm aware. So I don't think he's popped up again since then. Uh, oh, you, I see what you mean in the chronology, in the fiction. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. he could still be on yeah. Saturn. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So that, as far as I'm concerned, makes him still viable as a factor to be brought into a game. You know, maybe not as like an NPC, unless you, you know, wanted to really freak people out. I think you had a bad day. You could have him. Ibon in a game. It's just something's gone wrong. Because, I mean, he might not be the most uber social in the world, but the fact that you're actually meeting this guy, you've you've transcended to Mm -hmm. another plane at some point or another, I believe. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a, he's a power player. Yeah. Even though he's a con man, he actually he shows up uh, wielding some pretty serious power in in a campaign for the game that I don't know if uh, we are going to get into. Spoilers! Spoilers for the plot train. I won't spoil it, but it rhymes with Sh- Sean of Spazathoth. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that that British comedy? I think I've seen that. It's the sequel to uh, Sean of the Dead, right? Yeah, it's Sean of Spazathoth. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Just a reminder, folks, it's really early. <laughs> okay. But, uh, okay, so I wasn't aware that he was an active character well, he's in not that. Static. Yeah. Well, he's like he's a okay. he's a very serious element. It's been of- out for thirty years. Go ahead and ruin it, okay? I mean, well, really? Okay. Are we going to go there? Because I'll, I'll do that. Where he is said to have, well, said to have, he was involved in a plot. Okay. There's an invisible planetoid thing called Nemesis that's headed toward Earth. This is really spoiling. And it is going to destroy the Earth. And he sees this through some, you know, temporal window. And so his plan, Ibon, is to spin cosmic webs to catch the thing in space. And as you do, do, but he realizes that it's going to break through the webs eventually. So his other plan is to stop time altogether. Just freeze everybody. Earth, everybody, just freeze time. That'll take care of it. Why he thinks that, uh, that is like a win, I have no idea. Spoilers have left the station. The thing I was thinking of is I'm really surprised how few Clark Ashton Smith monsters. He drops monsters all over the place. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm not quite, a, I don't understand why there aren't more. The, he's got, in just in the, the door to Saturn, you've got this, um, well, you've got the liquid metal lake. And Sathagwa eating that, that is cool. That's not a separate monster, but he's... 
Yeah, like his his yeah, uncle, I guess. It's unpronounceable. Huzilogwagunza. Harry. Just call him Harry. Harry. Um, Wheatlacoche. Kind of looks like Wheatlacoche. Um, Gesundheit. <laughs> uh, Is that the, a Native the, American name? Wheatlacoche? <laughs> Wheatlacoche. That's a fungus that grows on corn that you eat with your face. Oh, I um, thought it ate me with eat my face like the corn comes alive and eats my face it's if you've ever seen it you might suspect that it's pretty pretty crazy stuff i'm going with the uh that's a native american vixen's name just sounds right that was hiawatha's little sister or something easy sister yeah we should go there we la coche we la coche okay all right, so you've got the Fliberty Gibbet Pygmies. I don't know why nobody's using Fliberty Gibbet Pygmies. They are just so awesome. Because they're on Saturn. Well, but there's a door. <laughs> there's at least one door. <laughs> what is makes a, he makes a valid door. point. It's a one-way door. Because when, when Sathagwa gave that, that bronze disc to, uh, to Ivan, he said, here's a door to Saturn, but you might want to be careful when you use it because... It's going to be hard to get back home. So it made me feel like it's a one-way yeah. door. And then, you know, the Inquisitor, of course, he has no idea. He's like, I'm going to go get him. Whoop. He just jumps in. And he's like, uh, damn, I can't get yeah. home. And it does specifically describe it to where the door doesn't exist yeah, behind right, him. Right. So they're stuck. That's the so way. there would have to be another door from Saturn to come back to Earth, which there very sure. well might yeah, be. Yeah, if you're saying that Ibon's and viable that would NPC, be then he can the bring the quest. I mean, whatever is it with really him, right? Saturn, yeah. though, guys? I mean, that's a gas planet. Is it not like Titan, like a moon or Ceres or something? Yeah, that would be my assumption, is that now that we actually know that it, Saturn is this, isn't a solid mass, then... It, yeah, or it is this more like a uh, like a phase shifted Saturn? Like this is an alternate universe Saturn he slipped into. That's where Saturn is a giant freaking ball of rock. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, with it, an it atmosphere. Talks, the story has uh, there's lights from the rings shining yeah. down as bright as the sun. So I, I think it's supposed to be like the sunlight's reflecting mm-hmm. off the rings. And it's it's you know bringing daylight to it. I don't know. Which would also work for one yeah. of the moons, though. Yeah, but you'd think they're, they're you'd totally think that visible. He would mention the elephant in the sky, which is, you know, if he if he was on a moon, you look up and there, you know, yeah. most of the sky is Saturn. I th- I think really we're talking yeah. about science but, that wasn't you know, quite uh, exactly back when Smith wrote this. They didn't know Saturn was a gas. Uh, yeah, planet. I think I think we can easily so. just dissuade all of that by saying he phase shifted into a slightly different reality. Sure. He's in just a slightly alternate version yeah. of our Saturn. In this Saturn, it just happens to be a ball of rock with right. an atmosphere. In rock lakes. Saturn. It's rock you know, Saturn. And it, there really isn't anything that says it has to even be Saturn. Like The natives call it Sarkanosh. Yeah. And so it could just be that Eben was wrong and thought that, oh, well, I'm traveling to Saturn. And it could have been, you know... Anywhere, yeah, he's been wrong before, so (laughs) Uh right, yeah, 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 he is fallible, which I love. I love that in the in the character that he is fallible, yeah, Uh, and and I love that he's Mm -hmm. clearly has a very high uh, fast talk and persuade skill. 
you know he's like yeah uh, yeah he's very quick on his feet yeah. and he adapts to whatever's going on he's kind of a uh i think of him as the cthulhu mythos wizardy version of like lando calrissian <laughs> he's just smooth and gets out of whatever situation yeah. <laughs> lando calrissian complete with a cape yeah oh yeah totally yeah i could see a, a um, he's got the cape uh, now i it's a it's trail of Sothakwa, right that's the adventure no, uh, what, the one that <laughs> the one Spawn of Spawn, Ath- oh, is it Spawn of Spawn of Spazzle. That's the one that rhymes with Sean of Yeah, Sean of Come on, man. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was the thug. Uh, but if he doesn't, he, he's, he doesn't have stats in that adventure, right? He's just you know a talking head. Yeah, I, well, he's not. Yeah, I don't know about a talking head, but he's he's. Um, referenced he's he's sort of behind the scenes it would be neat to have a scenario where maybe you are in direct communication with him and because he's basically marooned if you if you take the door to saturn fairly literal and and think that he is marooned there maybe he's actually you know trying to establish a communication line with with people on earth in order to puppet master them into creating a, a doorway or or something to either you know allow them to come back to Earth, or maybe it's some kind of ritual where there 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 can't be a uh, a subtraction from a place without an addition. It's like he's looking for someone to switch places with him, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it had to have happened mm. because we have the Book of Ibon. Like <laughs> somehow, right. somehow, right. He, like it's, and we have the Book of Ibon everywhere. So right. Right. So, I mean, either he's yeah, there, there's, he casted, he had a puppet who wrote it, you know, across the, across the darkness of space and, you know, contacted from Saturn or he got back and wrote it. Well, you know, the, uh, the Inquisitor had those, uh, the three servants that he was torturing, like, where's Ivan? Where's Ivan? We don't know. And I don't think the story said that they killed him. I think they were just like, uh, we stopped torturing him as soon as we figured out that, that they truly didn't know anything. Maybe, you know. One of those guys could be the author. Who knows? True, right? I always took it that Ebon basically wrote the majority of that before they came for uh-huh. him, and so that's something he had been collecting, you know, for who knows how many years previous, and then it was found after he had vanished. And what a and just what a, released. Sathagwa so. is, you know, Sathagwa is the one who warned him because I guess Sathagwa mm-hmm. monitors all uh, subterranean rooms and and listens for secrets and whatever. And he overheard the uh, the conspiracy against Ivan. I was like, dude, get out! They're coming for you. You know? Yeah, I really like that Smith created Sathagwa as not like this unknowable, you know, alien thing that you. You know, he acts in ways that are confusing, but he also, like, actually has a a form of loyalty, and he, like, he's something more approachable, which is unusual for a mythos type of creature. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't use him as, like, an ally for player characters, but it's actually something that could potentially be conversed with, just not trusted. I think it's hilarious that Sathag was like part of a, a giant family of creatures too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a yeah. He's, isn't he related to Cthulhu somehow? Yeah, there's some sort of weird distant thing. 
but I'm not sure how much of that was. Uh, I think most of that's Durlith. But. August Durlith, like re retranslating some of that into being more of a pantheon yeah, type right. of but, structure. But Clark Ashton Smith, though, he mentions that Saturn is populated with all the relatives of, of Sothagwa, you know, all of his aunts and uncles and cousins. And those, those are the mm-hmm. creatures that the natives of Saturn worship. And I guess Sothagwa is like, I'm going off to college. And he left and went to, you know, Earth and whatnot. Going off to college. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? But that would also explain why he gave, you know, a a favored servant like uh, Ibon. He gave him that plate that acts as a doorway to there because he knew it would be somewhere safe to run to if he needed it. So that's just very cool. I like how he comes with enemies. Uh, you know, it makes things complex. Like these guys, these Yaounde gods, uh, this elk goddess who is who is also yeah. into torture. <laughs> you know, right? And they have an uh, an inquisition. Like you could easily get caught up in a plot with Ibon involved and having the Yaounde folks show up, who are you know the elk goddess seems nice, <laughs> nicer than than uh, Sathagwa, and yet they're jerks. You know, are they worse than Ibon? I mean, he's our protagonist in, in Smith's story, but, uh, you know, he's not he's not into torture. So, um, yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, situations where you could be trying to fix something like they do in Shaun of Spazathoth, um, that he... <laughs> <laughs> he tries to, you know, he with his weird logic tries to do something, and then you've got the Younde folks like after him, and who who's the real enemy, you know? Right. Couldn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> no one expects a Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> I've waited for years to be able to use that. Well, and it's funny because when I was reading the uh, the Door to Saturn at the very beginning. Uh, that the other character, the the Inquisitor, to me it was seeming like his motivations to pursue Ibon was because of the mere fact that Ibon knew more magic than he did, and he was like, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't yeah. have a rival like that. I need to get rid of him. And then it's only later that the the, the concept of of uh, you know he's evil and you know my my air quotes good God doesn't want him around. That's what started to come out. And I was like, it sounded more like jealousy at the beginning. So, mm-hmm. Well, we know that the Inquisitor guy, whose name I can't remember, that it, he's full of all sorts of contradictions and hypocrisy anyway, because, you know, at one point in the story, he mentioned something about having an oath of celibacy, but then at the end of the story, we're in the village that they settle into, you know, he's all happy because there's uh, wine and uh, mushroom females. <laughs> so, Gee, yeah. Ugh, mushroom yeah. wine. Apparently, yeah. Uh, how? Cooperative females, so. How, how can you get mushroom wine? Yeah. That, uh, wait, let's go back to this for a second. Mushroom yeah. wine? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of mushroom tea, but uh, mushroom <laughs> wine? Yeah. Gil. That's a lot of squeezing. That, how would it even ferment? There, I, I, yeah, it's a protein. It would be really, really <laughs> awful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Saturn. It's Saturn. It have to rot. It have to rot. I mean, that's the. It. it no, thank you. That's one. That's one <laughs> wine Kickstarter. I will back. <laughs> <laughs> you can have your own Saturn mushroom wine. No, thank you, dude. You're gonna fail. The uh the guy's name is Morgie or Morgai. His uh, uh the yeah. guy. 
Yeah, and there's a couple of very entertaining episodes of the Double Shadow podcast. Oh. They cover Clark Ashton Smith's stories, and so I re-listened to episodes 22 and 23, which are the door to Saturn, and they have a lot of fun with this story, too. He's also, he shows up in The Coming of the White Worm, which is Smith's other kind of Ibon, uh, big Ibon source, and... Okay. Where else? Oh, The Beast of Averon. The Beast of Averon, he does, he does, it's not, uh, yeah, yeah, he's in The Beast of Averon. Uh, he's also mentioned. It's one of the ones he's name checked. Yeah, he's name checked. He's not. A, he's not like the main character, but he. Um, there's this whole story of the ring, and then I like the story mm-hmm. of the ring. I think it would be really cool. Oh yeah, the ring yeah, of Avon. Yeah, this reddish gold uh, thing with a purple gem, where there's a he bested a demon in a battle of wits, which is kind of his way, right? Fast talk, sure, like sure. made into mm-hmm. a magic spell. <laughs> Um, and that, so now it's trapped in this ring and if you hold it over burning amber, the demon will answer questions. And so in the beast of Averon, there's a comet on the way and, um, going to strike earth and they use the, they use the, the ring to actually, to ask about, you know, how to best it. And in the end they have to, they have to break the ring and release the Mm -hmm. demon, which then fights the fights the comet the the star I forget what it's star monster star beast um which is another awesome yeah, monster some sort yeah. of creature yeah yeah and i assume that the ring was the same material as the uh plate that was the doorway to saturn so probably got that off of uh Sothagua as well right right he's also a, a a character in the story uh incubus of atlantis by robert and price ibon that is okay Excellent. And we'll have lots of links for the show notes for a lot of these things. And the demon, uh, the demon of the ring is a story that where um, this guy, Lawrence Cornford, who seemed to be uh, really fascinated with Clark Ashton Smith, um, actually wrote the Ibon story in which um, the demon is trapped in the ring. Oh, and, cool. Oh. Yeah, and it's a really cool story and and pretty pretty amazing. It gives you some insight um for possibly using him where the his power in order to trap the demon is to have thousands of fissures appear on his skin and use the blood uh, his own blood to actually capture the thing so it's an incredible scene huh. this awesome spell that that uh, Ibon can apparently cast which I don't think has been written up as far as I know the spell anywhere but yeah blood magic Interesting. If there's a link to that somewhere you can find, that would be I could link to the book awesome. of Ibon, I guess, the book that... Um, what is it, like on Amazon? There's like a hundred different the, versions uh, of them. The no, 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 it's a Chaosium book, guys. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's I, I, I know that. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's just a collection of the uh, that Bob Price did of the, all the stories. It's sort of right. like his cycle, cycle books. Nice. I, I need to get more of those, I think. I think they're called cool. the Saturn series, like for Ashton Smith people. You know, there's a series of Saturn stories that Ashton Smith did. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, if you, the book of Ibon has like, I mean, the Bob Price thing has pages and pages of stories where he it's either stories from Book of Ibon or stories where his name dropped huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's got introductions in each one talking about Ibon's role. And it's vast, vast, vast. Cool.
Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. Yeah, we're doing something a little different here for the main. This is a resource that apparently is well known to everyone but me. And, and me. Oh. Okay, that's No, good. don't feel bad. I had never heard of it before <laughs> this came up. <laughs> yeah, but Lovecraft wrote this thing that he called the commonplace book. And what it essentially was is, is a notebook full of, like, one-sentence story ideas. He just kind of stream of consciousness threw things down whenever it occurred to him and then somebody transcribed it and there's a lot of cool stuff yeah i mean commonplace books were very they were very common at the time commonplace books in general so it was just like a scrapbook kind of uh notebook it was just a different term for it i guess okay a journal so yeah i'd never heard the term i heard the term i had never known that lovecraft actually did one makes sense i just didn't realize that it was readily available on the internet <laughs> yeah those snippets in here are all numbered and so it goes from 1 to 221 and these are just very brief things a number of them you can actually tell were later on adapted into official stories that he wrote or maybe even someone else wrote too he has a couple in there that uh, uh, yeah. uh frank belknap long used so i think there was one in there uh, hmm. that had a uh, uh it has a fbl you know like idea from fbl and then there's another one in there that just says uh belknap as far as i believe that idea was taken and, and developed by belknap if, so. if it's in brackets on that page mm -hmm. it yeah, it means that it, it uh, like, uh, 81, Marblehead, Dream, Burying Hill, Evening, Unreality, in brackets, it has festival, for like, right. for the story. Yeah, but there are some in, bracket, in brackets yeah. that said, you know, Idea FBL, mm -hmm. and then another one says Belknap on it, so. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I think those are annotations, those are not Lovecraft's yeah. thing, so. Yeah, um, so for instance, number 183, reference an Egyptian papyrus to a secret of a secret of secrets under tomb of high priest Kanefer, tomb finally found and identified, trap door and stone floor, staircase, and the illimitable black abyss. That sounds very familiar to a particular very famous campaign that's mm -hmm. going a <laughs> Kickstarter uh -huh. for. You know yeah, a I mean? bunch of a bunch of scenario writers have taken ideas from this. Um, have how used the. We, how the hell did we know this didn't exist? I'm just curious. I I don't know. Yeah, me too. But this I is I don't know either. A game master treasure trove. You don't know either, Chad. It's your it's your job to keep us abreast of these in uh, developments. This thing is just a so many cool little ideas, and the neat thing is that you can take something that you know has been used elsewhere. It's only like a sentence, so you just can reinterpret it however you yeah. like. Yeah, it's really it's really quite neat. I like it a lot. It's, like you said, it's a treasure trove for for game ideas and story ideas in general. The thing I love yeah. about it. Uh, is the insight that you get into Lovecraft's whole, I mean, it goes by year, right? So he had this for years and you can track the different development of ideas. Like the, you know, in the beginning, he's very much going after Gothic kind of pastiche. And then by the end of it, he's completely discovered his own, you know, the, the cosmic horror that we see. But, you know, in between there's all these, middle ground ideas, you know, before he really even was talking about aliens. And um, it goes back to 1919, pre-1919. So before he really 
was even writing his best stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, in it- even even things like number forty nine. Azathoth. Yeah. There's where he, he wrote down Azathoth. And then the description is just hideous name. That's it. Later on, then he picked it. I like the last one, 221. Insects or other entities from space attack and penetrate a man's brain and cause him to remember alien and exotic things. Possible displacement of personality? Hmm. It's just... It's yeah. fascinating. Anyway, so what we're going to do is is pick one each and just kind of talk about it briefly or, or not. Yeah, just kind of riff ideas off of them. So let's start with um, Dan, John, since he's first on the list. Why not? All right. I went with uh, number 195, and it says a pane of peculiar looking glass from a ruined monastery rep- uh, reputed to have harbored devil worship set up in modern house at edge of wild country. Landscape looks vaguely and unplaceably wrong through it. It has some unknown time distorting quality and comes from a primal lost civilization. Finally, hideous things in other worlds seen through it. That just seems so cool to me. Yeah. Some kind of, uh, you know, destroyed devil worshiping church had uh, you know stained glass in it, and someone collected some of the shards and 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 re-put them into a different window somewhere else in a house at the edge of maybe small country. Maybe this is the the broken door to Saturn that Ivan used. <laughs> They're yeah. getting glimpses. Mm, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can just go anywhere with this kind of stuff. The window to Saturn. Yeah, the window to Saturn. <laughs> it's in shard form. Yeah. I mean, it's the first thing I thought of with the whole, uh, you know, hideous things in other worlds seen through it is, is uh, uh, Hounds of Tindolus. But, I mean, it could be anything. I mean, you could be looking at another at another planet. You could see all kinds of crazy creatures. Maybe you're looking into the dreamlands, yeah. you know. I mean, it could be anything. And it could be just like, if you wanted to use this, come up with a chart of some sort and just randomly determine what was seen at that particular point, you know, or you can do something that's more plot specific. You know, this might be a good way to hook somebody into a plot. Mm -hmm. I would even do it to where you can see things, not necessarily just creatures, but some, you know, other places on earth that you're just witnessing events that could be good story hooks. Or like dream interludes or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. No sound, very little control, if any. And that could be really useful. Yeah, I like. Uh, I had I had another thought with maybe if different starlight is uh, is you know kind of passing through the window, uh, it becomes a doorway to that distant star, that diff- distant planet. Mm. You could see what's going on there. Ooh, you could have a kind oh, of. Oh yeah. You could have a uh, sort of primitive observatory situation where the starlight is limited by some structure, you know, so that certain mm-hmm. certain times of yeah. the year it comes through, and that's the that doorway goes to that star, and then other times of the year, you know, mm-hmm. or it could be you're, yeah, maybe you're a, maybe you're a scientist, it. and the stars you see is just a completely different sky you know an astronomer and and what you're seeing there is just obviously not the sky you're used to Mm -hmm. it's subtly different right the constellations are stretched out in a way that you could only have be seeing it from some other vantage point yeah that's cool too yeah yeah that would be neat so yeah i like this and then there's also always the possibility that 
whatever you're looking at could then notice and look back at you. Right. Yeah, that's always that's always a great hook. So that's something to always keep in mind. I wouldn't overplay that. I would try and set a set a baseline of being unobserved. Mm-hmm. And then at a point when it would be like really cool for the story, then whatever it is that the player is looking at, then they notice, you know, that they're being observed. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially if it's something powerful, then it like does something and just shuts the connection. Well, and and what if this mm. window yeah is is a form of uh, of fishing for this other alien race, and so something <laughs> finally came and started you know tugging at that hook, you know, playing with the glass, looking through it, making observations through it, and then suddenly they reel it in, and you know you're sucked right through. <laughs> go to the other side, like oh god. <laughs> it's an attract dumb human spell. <laughs> Need a curious brain. Attract human spell. That's an attract awesome idea. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the most overly used uh, spell in the repertoire if it did exist. Yeah. <laughs> kind of so, lonely tonight, guys. 1d6 cast hobos arrive. Like, go ahead and cast attract human. See if you get good. <laughs> Maybe you'll find something <laughs> worth keeping. It's basically what porn is, right? Internet right. porn is. Attract human. <laughs> I think I think attract human is is quite literally um, uh, like speed dating. So you're you're you know you're you go to a speed dating event. Sure. And, you know, you're trying to attract. Never mind. I didn't work out well. It sounded better in my head. <laughs> so, wrapping up mine. I, that's uh, you know I saw that one with the whole uh, the, the looking glass and the distortion. You know when you look through it, and I just that. I was really attracted to that, so I thought that was a, a cool uh, plot plot hook, plot seed. It's a good one because it's so yeah. fleshed out. That one really ha- you know, has a whole kind of story on it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's one of the longer mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Yeah. It also, it very strongly reminds me of, some, imagine taking pieces of that glass and putting them into a pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was, uh, we're talking about dumb humans. That's in a scenario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like it. That's yeah, golly, that would be just uh, wrong. What yeah. if it? What if it doesn't look the, through uh, to another thing? What, what if it just gives you a slightly skewed vision of the current reality you're in? So then it would be useful in a in a as a scrying gla- glass of some sort, maybe. Yeah, yeah, cool. kind or of, or to just be able to see through some sort of a veil. Yeah, but then the kind house from beyond, anyway. kind of mm-hmm. a from beyond theme, or yeah. And then the yeah. hounds, mm-hmm. yeah, if it's temporal, yeah. then the hounds want yeah, those then, glasses back. <laughs> well, now they come and get you through the glasses, so they attack mm-hmm. your eyes. Nice. So you have a series of people <laughs> who uh, who have been lose their, their eyes. eyes. Yeah, yeah. And the glasses <laughs> just show up somewhere else. Nice. <laughs> That's I like that a lot, actually. Yeah. That's a good one. Good job, John. Or good so job, smooth. HP. Yeah. Good. Good job. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Howard Phillips there. So uh, Murph, what did you pick? Uh, I chose uh, number 198, which is funny because Chad had mentioned that, you know, it starts out very gothic in the earlier stuff. And then it goes to more of his uh, traditional um, later items. But this is one of the later ones. And it's very gothic, if you ask me. Uh, It says, a distant tower visible from hillside window. Bats cluster thickly around it at night. Observer, fascinated. One night wakes to find self on unknown black circular staircase in tower. Hideous goal. <laughs> and I just this 
there's dark. There's a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot there and it's not, you know, just a few sentences, but I like the idea of, of, of seeing a unknown dark tower, you know, kind of shrouded in darkness on a hillside. Um, and then just mm-hmm. the top of it just swarmed with a giant, whatever you call a swarm of bats. What is a, a, a herd colony, a colony of bats. I think you're right. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Flying around the, uh, the top portion of it. I mean, that's a, a very striking image to me in general. Uh, and then to just, uh, wake up one night to find yourself inside this tower, you know, with the screeching bats outside and you're stuck in the middle of it, of course, you know, so you don't know how you got there, yeah. why you're in it, but then you just have to keep going up to find whatever in the hell is up there at the top. One thing that I would do would be maybe have the tower only visible from at, like at night, maybe, or something like that, because yeah, only otherwise it would be very easy to like, just go out just go during out the it. daytime and just check out, hey, what's with this tower? Yeah, yeah. It only shows up at night, and I was thinking it'd actually move, you know, so, like, it's it's there. It, it, would be, it wouldn't be a, a main plot item. It would be one of those things that hounds the characters, you know, if we're talking in game terms. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, they're... For instance, oh, they go through a normal campaign yeah, and, this, and tower this tower just, just keeps, keeps popping showing up. up in the distance. Yeah, and then one day they find <laughs> themselves in it, and then there's some didn't you know something at the top of it that they have to deal with. Cool. I just thought that was a it's a really cool image of that uh, you know that a giant tower with bats swarming, and then you find yourself within it for no apparent reason whatsoever. I like that it shows up yeah. no matter where you go. So they're yeah. they're in the they're in the country, and it's they're on a distant hill. They go to the city, and it's nestled amongst all the other buildings, you know. And I mean, right. no matter where you go, there's the tower. Yeah, it, it kind of haunts mm-hmm. them in a way. Yeah, right? it's, and, and like you said, only showing up at night, you know. Yeah, I think that's the only way that would work. Yeah. I'm glad Dan brought that up because I was assuming that whenever I, I read it, but I didn't actually vocalize it, I guess. But yeah, yeah. That, that makes... Well, the, the mentions of bats definitely give you the nighttime. Yeah. The, feel the yeah, darkness feel it yeah. and it would be silhouetted on my mind it's silhouetted by the moonlight or something mm-hmm. like that you know so it makes it even more gothic and dark yeah maybe describe it with some sort of a distinctive silhouette you know like the way orthanc has its specific look mm-hmm. you know give it something that would be distinctive so that way they don't the way they always can recognize it well i they think they can pick out the shape i i think that's the thing is that it, in my mind, it's just a a solid like obsidian pillar, you know, a cylinder just stuck there in the middle of where it shouldn't be, and and it just has these bats mm. that are constantly swarming like a like a mass of black just cavorting around the top of it. Yeah. And so that the, every time they look at it, they just see this, you know, everywhere they are, they end up seeing this this cylindrical pillar just standing out there in the distance. No idea what in the hell it is or why it's there. And it obviously doesn't fit because no one makes cylindrical, perfectly cylindrical, smooth pillars. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that, that's the way I am in, yeah, imagine. Unless it it's a smokestack. <laughs> yeah, but smokestack. All right. Yeah, it's a smokestack. Actually, I just <laughs> you could I go just with had... the Tower of Black Nice and bring Ibon right in there. There you go. Right. You know, yeah. Back to Ibon again. Oh, Ibon's Tower is following you around. Or what I was, is going on? I was also thinking maybe uh, Narlathup's Tower on the dark side of the moon. Like maybe this is somehow transported mm-hmm. um, or he's showing up to try and nudge you one way or the other. Just to, mm-hmm. just to subtly. Or just influence. to see what you do. Yeah, yeah, just to see if you're 
susceptible to his thinking, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Possible cultist he's trying to recruit. It's like, I, hey. I, I just I just had a different idea on, on a, a different take on this tower thing, which is uh, you could instead of it, you know maybe moving around, maybe it's in one location, uh, and during the daytime it's ruins, and so it just you know you see only a partial the foundations or something. Yeah, the foundation, a little wall. bit of a of a curved wall or whatever. But then at night, and only at certain times of the year, it at night it looks like it's, it's a complete. full tower with the bats and everything, and uh, and it can only be explored at night or something. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's I good. Like, I like that. that. That's that's a lot of fun. What about you, Chad? Thoughts? Thoughts on wait? Yeah, the tower. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's the whole okay. point. Those were. Yeah. No, I know. He no, thought he was, were moving to the next. Was, uh, yeah, he thought I was prepping him for the next one. I wasn't. I apologize. Yeah. Chad hasn't picked one yet. He hasn't no. narrowed his uh, choice down. Or maybe they're all related. No, I've picked them. I, pick, I have picked three. And, and uh, uh, Jesus God. Okay. The overachiever of the group. Always. Or the overwriter. <laughs> the over. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a gift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least you know it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, I just started, I don't know. Are we transit? Is it? Are we? What's happening? I want to hear your thing on the on the tower first. Um, so you know what's interesting is actually there are elements. <laughs> there's elements of yours and John's in the idea I have for the for for these. Oh things. well, let's go to yours then, uh, Chad. What do you, what did you come up with? Well, I mean, as far as the tower, it's actually John's John's idea of sort of uh, ruins that are then seen. Um, you know, in a fr- from a different light at a different time. So I picked. Um, Castle by pool or river, reflected, uh, reflection fixed through centuries, castle destroyed, reflection lives to avenge destroyers weirdly. That's kind of the basic thing. So that makes me think of what John was saying. Like in a certain light, you see ruins, you know, actually put well, back. It reminds me of John's actual selection as well with the, you know, with the glass shard. Uh, yeah. The glass pieces. So that it could be. Maybe it's a window out of that castle or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other one I picked, very similar. Uh, these are, were all, I felt like they were related. And I went back to the early ones for Gothic. Because um, I, I don't know, I think scenarios, a lot of the scenarios are later. Well, that's not true. There's There are Gothic scenarios. Uh, but anyway, uh, Enchanted Garden, where moon casts shadow of object or ghost invisible to the human eye. And the third one I picked was Unspeakable Dance of the Gargoyles in Mourning Several Gargoyles on Old Cathedral Found Transposed. What so, numbers? 44, 51, and then 77. Yeah, Ike. Ike. So here's what I'm thinking. You have a sorcerer, I guess because of Ibon, I was thinking sorcerers. He moves into uh, a medieval cathedral. I make it a cathedral instead of a castle. It's just because of the, the two combined one mentions cathedral maybe it was abandoned during a war medieval war um like maybe the hundred years war and then things start to go Mm -hmm. wrong in the village surrounding classic stuff like um sour milk you know uh two-headed calves the kind of uh smut on the wheat crop witch stuff so the townsfolk blame the sorcerer who's moved into this old cathedral and uh, he's actually just kind of minding his business, but the townsfolk decide they're going to destroy him. So, but they can't do it on their own. So they hire some 
what do you call them when you pay mercenaries? <laughs> so, but there were in the in the medieval uh, France. We call them adventurers. Right. Player characters. <laughs> player characters. They're, murder hobos. Right. So they, that's good. Actually, that would be, you could role play that on one side and then, and then make a Call of Cthulhu adventure out of it. So, and the, and mercenaries were infamously badly behaved in, uh, Northern France. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they pool their mercenaries money. Mercenaries are, are, are notoriously badly behaved across the anyway, world. Anyway, right. Think. Because yeah. even why? today. Yeah. Because why? Because they're player characters. Everywhere and everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and because they're player characters. And because they're black. Exactly. <laughs> they have a reputation to uphold. Yeah. yeah. So the villagers good. pool their money. They hire the player characters. No, they, they hire uh, the murder <laughs> hobos. And <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then these mercenaries go and with the, you know, torches and the whole mob behind them, uh, they actually route him from his ca- from his uh, cathedral. Um, he's got, let's say, like a wither limb spell or something like that. So he can actually cast, mm-hmm. you know, a few before they before they overwhelm him and push him out of the cathedral. And um, so he has actually marked uh, a few of the mercenaries. He ends up going into the nearby lake where they can't get to him. And he sort of disappears into the lake. And so a few of the mercenaries end up with, with these withered limbs. They, but the problem is, so, you know, success story, except that mercenaries suck. So now that they're stuck with the mercenaries, the mercenaries decide, well, I think we're going to hang out here. This is a pretty good place. And so they stay in the town and the villagers have like brought their own fate upon them. Um, and let's just say for the sake of not being graphic, there are unwanted pregnancies. Um, and this, <laughs> this legacy kind of lingers in the town. So, so it really is like your high school player character group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's actually not a bad comparison <laughs> at all. I would totally do this as like a D and D campaign or something, and and then have it be the backstory, or just make it, uh, just make it, awesome. make it modern day, transport it to Afghanistan, and you're playing Blackwater agents, right? Sure, totally. <laughs> Blackwater agents are definitely player characters. <laughs> so, all right, so you got the unwanted pregnancies. You fast forward uh, a generation, let's say. I'm going to make this uh, Cthulhu Dark Ages. And you could do it like 20s or whatever, but I'm thinking one one generation makes it fresher. Rumors begin to appear that the cathedral can sometimes be seen in the reflection of the lake on a moonlit night. Um, And in fact, what's happened is the sorcerer has survived in the lake and has opened a temporal mirror and is watching. So, I mean, that's, you know, sort of like John's there, right? Through the glass. Well, I'm going to make it gothic. Uh, so let's bring a romance into it. Um, we have a young couple that goes to the castle to, you know, have their tryst, uh, or goes to the cathedral and, um, the, the girl gets kidnapped by invisible forces and gets pulled into this, this other world. Um, and what, what the sorcerer did is take gargoyles from the cathedral and animate them. Um, their shadows can be seen in the ruins on a moonlit night. 
And if, you know, if you're, you're, if the shadows come after you, you can actually be plucked from one temporal world to the other. They, um, so he blackmails or not blackmails, but he, he holds the girl hostage while he makes the young guy go out and take revenge on the marked, uh, mercenaries. So what you have is actually a clue trail where there are serial murders done by a mundane person and he's just trying to rescue the girl. His, right, his so you, girl. Have, you end up with that moral ambiguity whenever you actually do end up catching him, where whether you exactly. should rid yeah. yourself of him or not. Yep, exactly. But, uh, you know, and if you get to him, then you could, you know, he would confess, but then you still got a problem. <laughs> You've got, you know, the girl is trapped and you've also got evil forces in this ruins in your town. And, you know, I don't really have anything beyond that, but you know, a situation. That is pretty, pretty complete though. Yeah, that's, something, that's something you should write up. I mean, that's, that's really taking it to the, uh, to the HPL, uh, conclusion of taking these ideas and, and formulating into a full prose story and, and writing mm-hmm. that up. I, I love it. I think I think you should. I would read that if you wrote that up. I would read that. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Keeper Voice would read it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dan, which comic book place entry did you choose? I uh, picked number one forty-one. It's one of the longer ones, and it seems to actually not be something Lovecraft himself wrote. But it is a piece from another book that apparently caught his interest and that I'm guessing he was thinking of re-adapting and taking this paragraph and kind of redoing it. And it's a footnote by Haggard or Lang in The World's Desire, which is a book that was published in 1890 about uh, the hero Odysseus and his travels. So the way it uh, reads is probably the mysterious and indecipherable ancient books, which were occasionally excavated in old Egypt, were written in this dead language for a more ancient and now forgotten people. That alone right there is very Lovecraftian. Mm. And uh, has all sorts of potential. Uh, It goes on. Such was the book discovered at Koptos in the ancient sanctuary there by a priest of the goddess. The whole earth was dark, but the moon shone all about the book. A scribe of the period of the Ramses mentions another indecipherable ancient writing. Thou tellest me thou understood no word of it, good or bad. There it is, as it were, a wall about it that none may climb. Thou art instructed, yet thou knowest it not. This makes me afraid. Hmm. So yeah, it's talking about a weird book found that has been indecipherable and for a written for a people that haven't left any other clues behind which to me could be even something like serpent people oh yeah sure totally you know that'd be kind of neat to find a uh, serpent people book in an s in a uh, archaeology dig 
going, okay, who was this? <laughs> and uh, just do something really and good And as you're there. trying to learn about their secrets, they're, they're coming for the book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the one bit there that kind of uh, caught my eye is, uh, where was it? Uh, the whole earth was dark, but the moon shone all about the book. Mm. I kind of like that idea that it's visible regardless of how dark the room might be. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it was it had a spotlight. The whole earth was dark, but yeah. the moon shone all about the book. I mean, so there's just darkness, and then there's there's the single spotlight right there in the book. Yeah, the way that's phrased, and but just enough to be like a a white moonlight type reflection yeah it almost seems like looking on it would actually make the rest of the earth dark itself you know because it's that's the whole earth was dark is not you know that seems like a special condition yeah maybe it's like the uh the briefcase from pulp fiction you know when you open it up and it glows right (laughs) you know you open the book and it glows with moonlight and dims everything else around you Yeah, everything else that you can see around you goes dimmer. I like that. You know, and it, it would even be something like, you know, make a make an idea check to see if you notice. But when you look up from the book, it all goes back to normal. Mm. It could yeah. uh, So it's only out of the corner of your eye that you see it <laughs> doing cool that. Yeah, I like that. Maybe the book is at the top of my tower. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it can only be deciphered through the glass in John's right. window. <laughs> and if you're not if you're not careful, those those bats are actually gargoyles flying around the top of the tower, and they're ready to, to pick you off and bring you through the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something that I was thinking of. Is you know, at a distance at night, you really can only assume those yeah. are bats. Oh yeah. Instead of bat, instead of gargoyles, they could just be like. Uh, Biokies or or um, night gaunts, uh, night gaunts, or night gaunts, or or even Migo. Migo even, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you're seeing is dark shapes flittering around. You might <laughs> think that you day. have the idea of the scale of the <laughs> tower, but the scale could be completely oh, it could different. Be massive, yeah, and yeah, and, which was why I was thinking uh-huh. maybe it was uh, Nihilus's tower, you know, which would tie into it being instead. Instead of bats possibly being uh, like night gaunts or something of that nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, a lot of these, I love the way we can even tie these completely different ones together. And I bet HPL did that with where he would go through this list he created and it took a couple of these entries and went, okay, those two work mm-hmm. together. Yeah. It's almost, you know, and come it's up almost with like a random generator where you can just roll a D two twenty one yeah. uh, three times and come up with three different uh, things and mesh them together. And you've got a story, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's insane, mm-hmm. but it, it actually, it's not too difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is a cool exercise. That would be neat to do that, to, to, to generate three, Random numbers like that in that scale, and then do your best to uh, compile them together. Mm-hmm. We could do that in another uh, se- side yeah. segment or something. That would be cool. That would be pretty interesting. That one probably would require some homework before the show. Well, you couldn't. I mean, if it was random. <laughs> or, well, oh, we could do this. We could do the numbers we, before the show. Yeah, randomize yeah, the see. numbers, and then we can think about it. So having the, uh, having the, uh, the homework and the preparation time means that Chad will excel at this. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. 
I just did it. I just did. I, I just rolled two D two twenty ones. Okay. Um, the first one I got was um, crap. The first one I got was number twenty two, right? Which is get up to it now i've scrolled down to the second one uh yeah, mermaid, mermaid, legend. mermaid legend and that's nice all right yeah. okay. so mermaid legend from the encyclopedia britannica right. <laughs> mermaid legend okay mermaid legend and then he gives the volume number and i think yeah. the page yeah. all right mermaid legend we can go with that uh the second one was number 167 which is Boy reared in atmosphere of considerable mystery. Believes father dead. Suddenly is told that father is about to return. Strained preparations. Consequences. Like, wait a minute. Those do kind of go together. They do. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I think that's like Aquaman's yeah. origin. <laughs> Prince okay. Namor. That's Prince Namor right there. We're back to Atlantis <laughs> and, and uh, Hyperborean age. Yeah. That's actually pretty fun. I like so, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to roll that some more. Yeah. That that, awesome. This is, there's a lot of really cool things that you can just kind of riff on and spin it out, you know, take the original seed and, and just figure out where it goes from there. I've done it again. And even if. I'm sorry. Okay. 29. Dream of Seekonk. Ebbing tide, bolt from sky, exodus from providence, fall of congregational dome. Okay. Wow. Which is kind of, that's kind of a, a big one there. And then the second one was 125, which is man abandoned by ship, swimming in sea, picked up hours later with strange story of undersea region he has visited. Mad? Oh, that was one I even considered for, for today. I was thinking <laughs> that's about a doing good that one. one. Yeah. Really but good. you combine the yeah, two and you end up good. with something that's just, it's almost implausible, but at the same time, it's like, okay, how did the guy get out there? And, and what did it have to do with the collapsing of the Congressional Dome in Providence? You know what I mean? It's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. It, it, it's just. And which one happened first? Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just, yeah, this is just great. One of my favorites is 169. What hatches from primordial egg? <laughs> yeah. I do like the short ones. They're. Yeah, they're very yeah. evocative. Yeah. Little green Celtic figures dug up in an ancient Irish bog. <laughs> one seventy idol in museum moves in a certain way. Yeah, right. look at the next one. This I love that. What's the next? Uh, oh, migration Migra of lemmings. <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> migration of lemmings <laughs> Atlantis. <laughs> That's like an animated Disney film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. <laughs> we love to hear from our listeners, and we have a lot of different ways you guys can reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com, and we have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast. And you can join our IRC channel on the feedback page of the website. We have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number at 401-400-MUP. That's 401-400-0687. Or you can use our SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask us a question, leave us a liner, say who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. And we'd love to get a hearty Go Pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. 
And our website is mu-podcast.com. And you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 74. That is the number, 74. Our forums at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come join the community and be a part of the conversations. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. I'm Keeper Voice. My voice <laughs> is deep and sexy. <laughs> Keeper Voice. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> you guys are dicks. End show just... outtakes right off the bat. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> What am I supposed to say for real? Just, yeah, you write it, man. You write it. I, I don't even know what the hell we're... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Had you not read that when you said... No, I didn't. Parts? No, I never read it. I just assumed. I glanced at names. That's and all I did. you know what happens there. <laughs> Keep her voice. <laughs> <laughs> did I say I'm keeper voice? Yes, yeah, you yeah. did. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm keeper Murph, and my fellow podcasters are asshats. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck we're doing. Somebody, somebody, write it for him, for God's sake. What the hell are we talking about? Uh, I don't well, have I mean, you it. could take my line, I guess, and I could just say, and I'm Keeper Chad. I'll just say I'm Keeper Merv. Here, Chad, do yours and I'll do mine at the end. Oh. <clears throat> what, we're going to do this in line? We're not going to start <laughs> over? You really want to do it that way, Dan? I don't care. I just want it done. <laughs> <laughs> we're not just even it, to the crier yet. <laughs> yeah, goddamn. <laughs> and I'm Keeper Merv with nothing more to say. <laughs> it works. Oh shit. End of line. I can see and this is Keeper Radiator. Yeah. Keeper Radiator. What are we talking about today? Oh, so that's going to be interesting. First, we're going to start things off in the keep <laughs> in the Keeper mm -hmm. Crier. Oh, the Keeper Crier. Okay, so I was that's laying in bed last night and I was thinking about my life in general and I cried. <laughs> Chad's oh, this is right gonna now. be one of those shows. He actually he <laughs> forgot. He forgot to fade. <laughs> yes, folks, it's an hour earlier than we normally do this because of the time change. Uh, the, I, there's reviews by Keeper Voice. <laughs> I can't. I didn't even know I said that. You dickwads. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's not funny. Voice. I'm making that my ringtone. <laughs> I can't believe you got me to read that. Uh, this is sort of, um, well, anyway, April 25th through 26th. <laughs> what was that? I got lost. <laughs> yeah, it sounded terrible, though. It's like, that's a like cons coming up. Oh, uh, anyway, well, yeah, uh, it's on April. Fuck it. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, this edit's going to be so much fun. Oh, Wait. you're screwed. You're not doing anything for the rest of the day, are so you, Dan? Screwed. I mean, he, he no, I'm not, literally. I'm just editing. Yeah, I bet you why. It's like you've reported for this before and expected something to go wrong. (laughs) But uh, the investigators are involved. God, I feel really like dirty spoiling that much. We'll have to to do a a spoiler bumper. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking that too. I'll I'll come up with something to insert. Uh, Please, please don't listen to this. It's spoilery. You know, yesterday, when we were recording the bumper for the Wizards, I came to the realization that Murph doesn't use a filter for this. He actually does Jimmy with with his own voice machine. I I totally thought it was a filter. Did you guys know that? I didn't think it was a filter. I actually believe that Jimmy and the professor are legally married in 19 states. (laughs) (laughs) People were actually wanting all four of us back together again. That's what happens. Well, and there's a time shift. Let's be honest. Goddamn. (laughs) Three hours of sleep is really eating at my head right now. I can't really feel my face. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. <laughs> Did you guys ever know about that film, the Lemming film situation? Yeah. Oh, my God. That they faked it. That that whole thing about Lemmings running together was just completely fraudulent. Well, the, the, them committing suicide uh, yeah. on mass it was fraudulent. They actually yeah. drove them over a cliff. What? <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, in order to, I mean, it's a Disney yeah. film, like a documentary film. And in those days, documentaries were completely staged. And, but yeah, so it, so that whole myth of lemmings, like one jumping and then all the rest of them jumping, well, that's the narrative they put on the film. But they, what they found was that lemmings don't, don't um, run in mass together, like in, like shoulder to shoulder. But if you drive them <laughs> together, they will do it. And they wanted a better shot. Well, they drove them to the edge of a cliff and then they started jumping. And then, and then the narrator, you know, in the editing room was like, and this is a thing lemmings do. And now like, it's, it's what we think of, you know, that lemmings do. They do migrate, Mm -hmm. they do migrate, but they're like spread out and, you know, they're covering ground like functionally. (laughs) Yeah. They don't move like a flock of birds and then leap off of cliffs. Yeah. They that just doesn't exist. I have no idea. So well, right? Does that not yeah, blow uh, your mind? And I found a, a link. Mind. I okay. found a link to the uh, to the video. The first one is the or the, there's one link on the page is two videos. The first is 
showing, you know, the, the actual documentary. And then the second one shows how they actually filmed it. <laughs> it's kind of messed up. White wilderness. Uh-huh. Um, I just found a Snopes link. I'll throw that in. Oh, cool. Yeah, if, on the second one, if you go to about two minutes in or so is when you get to the uh, the part where they actually show you um, how they filmed the, the lemmings dying. Yeah. It's so sad, man. It's just... <laughs> God. Yeah. Bastards. That's great. It's like, yeah, look, okay, flush them over the cliff. <laughs> Yep. Here they come. This will be a great shot. And they got a guy behind them chasing them. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> there they go. Running down the cliff. <laughs> so oh, wrong. Want somebody to come up behind him and push him over there, too. <laughs> Let's just re- record this bit real fast. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You just jinxed it. I, w- I know. Look, I won't mess it up. Okay, let's let's see. We love to hear from our listeners, and we have a lot of different ways you can reach out with us. To us. That's up number one. I didn't do it. <laughs> Had nothing to do with that one. 